On today's installment of the John Campia Show podcast, Aquaman 2, the sequel to the biggest DCU movie ever, is now projected to make less than the biggest flop in Marvel's history on its opening weekend. We're going to talk about that. Also, uh, are the game console wars over? A new reports come out saying PlayStation 5 is outselling Xbox X and S 3 to 1. Percy Jackson and the Olympians delivers a much-needed win for Disney+. Plus. The writer of the Quentin Tarantino Star Trek film that never came to be says it was going to be the greatest Star Trek of all time. Zack Snyder says that his director's cut of his upcoming Rebel Moon is a completely different movie than the Rebel Moon we're going to see. And Warner Brothers clearly has no faith in that Aquaman movie too because we're sitting here about 24 hours from when this movie opens to the public and the review embargo is still not lifted. We're going to talk about that and a whole bunch more. The John Campy Show podcast starts right now. And salutations, everybody. Welcome to the best damn movie related show on the planet Earth, the John Campion Show podcast. Coming to you from right here in our quaint little studio, brought to you in part by our friends over at Mint Mobile. I am, of course, your host, John Campia, and it is an awesome honor and privilege, as it is every day, to have you, our international friends, gather around as we talk about our favorite things in the world, movies and movie news, TV and streaming and all sorts of good stuff, not just giving you our opinions, but giving you some information and context so you guys can form your own well-informed opinions, whether they're the same or even different than ours. Uh, joining me in studio today, we got Ray Ora. Hello. We, what was that? Jonathan Voico's here. What up, everybody? Writer, director, producer, Robert Meyer Burnett. Free Margot. And <laughs> joining us... Uh, most importantly here today is you guys. Thank you so much for being here, making this show part of your day. And here's how the show's going to go. We're going to start off by running down all those topics that we just listed off. And then the last part of the show, we're going to take your live comments and questions. We already asked our beloved YouTube channel members in a community post earlier to fire in some topics. But if you guys are watching live and you got a comment, theory, question, or critique, go ahead and fire it on in using the super chat feature. And as long as it's appropriate for us to read on the show, we'll address it a little bit later in the show. Also want to remind you guys, this show is primarily a podcast. So if you want the daily dose of the John Campus show, but you can't be in front of a YouTube video, maybe you're at the gym or commuting, good news, there is that audio-only podcast simply and creatively called the John Campus Show Podcast. Go and find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcasting app of choice. Okay, guys, with that down, let's move on to this, shall we? Tomorrow's game day. Game day. Game day. Aquaman 2 is coming out. And I don't care what everybody else says. I had a really good time watching the first Aquaman movie. It was a lot of fun. It went on to be become the most successful film in the entire DCEU that they've done. And it made over a billion dollars at the box office. The only DCEU film to do it. So as long as you still got James Wan coming back, you got my boy J.J. Momo coming back to play Aquaman. And who else? Not a lot of people know that. He, he likes to be referred to as J.J. Momo. No, he doesn't. And, and also the one and only P. Willie. P. Willie. P. Willie. P. Willie's going to be there. I don't care what he says. I'm excited to see it. It's coming out tomorrow. Did I mention it's coming out tomorrow? It's coming out tomorrow. What is? Aquaman 2. You're kidding. I'm seeing it. With P. Willie and J. Momo. I thought he'd say something like Madam Webb. <laughs> that wouldn't even be made. So It weird. is right now our time. 11.41 a.m., Los Angeles time. I am seeing this thing at 3 p.m., Los Angeles time tomorrow. So about 27 and a half hours away. 
And the review embargo has not let li- yet lifted. And we're going to talk about that later. What's even more concerning, if you're the folks at Warner Brothers, is the tracking for the opening weekend of Aquaman 2 has been updated. And according to tracking, Aquaman 2 is going to make less in its opening four-day-long weekend than the biggest bomb in Marvel's history, the Marvels, made in its opening three-day weekend. This comes from the folks over at Screen Rant who write the following. Aquaman The Lost Kingdom is tracking to have lower opening weekend than Marvel Studios' biggest bomb. Aquaman and The Lost Kingdom has uh, is the DCEU's final movie. The sequel serves as the follow-up to 2018's Aquaman, which broke expectations to become their highest-grossing film. Now, according to Deadline, Aquaman and The Lost Kingdom is on track for a four-day Christmas opening weekend of around $40 million plus, which is less than the Marvel's $46 million three-day opening. That is bad news for the DCEU's final movie, as the Marvels had the worst debut for a Marvel Studio film and will end its theatrical run as the lowest-grossing MC movie yet, with only $204 million. Hey, hey, cracked $200 million. Well done, Marvels. Uh, according to Box Office Mojo, despite trailers having teased an exciting story for Rockman The Lost Kingdom, the movie should be another 2023 DCEU box office disappointment. All right. Before anybody starts throwing themselves out of windows... I think it should be important to point out that the first Aquaman movie, while it made over a billion dollars at the box office, it didn't exactly have an explosive opening weekend. I mean, I believe, and Ray, you can correct me if I'm wrong here, that the opening weekend for the first Aquaman movie, I believe, was like $67 million, which is way better than 40, yes. But, it, you know, it's not some monstrous huge number that Aquaman movie when I had like did you see how much you made yeah you're right 67 it was 67 okay so 67 million dollars and it went on to make over a billion dollars now in its favor that first Aquaman movie had a lot of fun a lot of positive vibes behind it really good marketing campaign and all this kind of stuff but still even with that caveat this would represent like a 40 45% drop from maybe about a 40% drop from what the opening weekend of the first one was. Now, listen, I expect Aquaman 2 to do better internationally than the Marvels did. So I think at the end of the day, Aquaman Lost Kingdom will make more money than the Marvels did overall. At least that's what I'm guessing. But Rob, when you're the sequel to the biggest hit successful film your franchise has had, and you're going to open lower than the worst performing Marvel film. It, it's not the note they wanted to go out on. What do you make of this? John, I'm, I'm a little perplexed. I mean, to be honest, you have James Wan, who's a fantastic filmmaker, who's done the entire Conjuring verse for them, you know, which has been wildly successful. Uh, Aquaman was wildly successful. Coming off of another franchise in a different studio, Furious 7, which also was very successful. Peter Safran, who's running up the new DC universe with James Gunn. I mean, what what I find so interesting, I mean, this movie, we've heard it was in trouble at test screenings, rumors, things like that. I mean, how bad has this movie got to be? It, I, I, I mean, they're dumping it. There's been no, you'd think like the most fun movie of the holiday season that they would put marketing into this film. I mean, even if movies, we've seen lots of movies in the last 25 years that 
weren't so good, but they have individual character posters. Right. Where are the character posters up? The If there's one thing that these movies have, it's dynamic and fun-looking characters. All the different species, the, the Black Manta. I mean, you'd think that even if this movie is not what they'd hoped it would be, you'd think that the marketing department would kick in and goose, at least try and goose that opening weekend by by delivering something that, you know, fun and wacky for the holiday season. I don't know what they're going to do, but they haven't even tried that. There's been nothing. There's been some trailers and TV spots. Like you said earlier, before we went on, people don't even know this movie's coming out. Yeah, I, I put up something on the community tab last night that we'll talk about later, but it was revolving around Aquaman and a lot of people, a lot of you guys watching at home uh, jumped in the community tab. Hey, look, saying, at this, look at that picture I, you just set up. I didn't even know this movie's coming out this week. No. Like a lot, of, like they just did not do a good job with public awareness. But there's Aquaman on a giant seahorse. That we just saw. How is that? That should be on a movie poster. That should be twenty million opening weekend by itself. Just the seahorse. Uh, I, I, I mean, octopus on it too. Uh, 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 yes, yes. What do you do when you're in an octopus's garden? Well, you take a seahorse, get on that seahorse's back, and take the octopus with you. And where has the drumming octopus been in the marketing? Missed opportunity, Rob. I mean, there could have been an entire fun marketing campaign for this film. To at least, I, I mean, now. I'm never going to get a Black Manta hot toy. This film was initially supposed to release with uh, Avatar 2 in the same sort of... Uh, oh, yeah, it was supposed to originally come out a year ago. It, yeah, a year which ago. Which is great because you don't want a water movie competing against the greatest water movie ever. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, it's just a shame. I like James Wan. It just shows you how hard it is to capitalize on a, on a, a big first movie. Especially in the comic book genre, it's like it's very hard to do. Obviously, I mean, this I, we haven't seen it yet. I'm not going to say anything. I'm just saying it doesn't look uh, good with those projections. Yeah. Sure. So we'll we'll John, see. I'll be there tomorrow. We'll see. I want to see it too, but you know the fact that they had to push it a year, getting interest payments back. This movie must have cost an extraordinary amount of money for Warner Brothers. This yeah. is not good for with the all the. I mean, according to the major trades, with all the reshoots they did and moving like. By moving that thing a year, they had to remount an entire new marketing campaign. They had, I mean, this thing was going to end up being expensive. And again, want to remind everybody: the first one made in the mid to high sixty in its opening weekend and went on to make a billion dollars. I don't have the belief that this movie is as good as the last one. We'll talk about that a little bit later yeah. too. Anyway, what do you guys? You think you can crack that forty million dollar mark opening weekend? I'm sorry. Apparently, a bunch of you guys didn't even know it was opening this week. But go, uh, let us know what you guys think. <laughs> All right. With that down, let's move on to this, shall we? You know, in the era of streaming and a lot of home entertainment, for a lot of people, the home entertainment hub has not been their Roku. It has not been their Apple TV device. It hasn't been their Google Chromecast or NVIDIA Shield or whatever. For a lot of people, the hub of the home entertainment system has been either their PlayStation or their Xbox. Uh, both the companies who made those made really smart choices a while ago to not just make them game consoles, but to put all of your home entertainment can be on that. Now, I don't personally know a lot of people who use their gaming consoles that way as the main hub for their home entertainment, but, but a bunch of people do. And you guys remember, going back to that South Park episode that was all kind of about the PlayStation versus Xbox Wars... Was that this? The uh, Black Friday. Was the that Black well, I Friday? It was Stick or three, Truth. I think it was three-part episode. 
of South Park. It was something like that. I, I can't remember exactly yeah, what it was, Friday but it was really, they, uh, there was, it was all, no, we're going to get a PlayStation. No, we're going to get an Xbox. I mean, that was a huge thing. Well, according to a new report, that battle's over. Uh, this comes to us from IGN, who wrote the following. Financial Times quotes analysis by Ampere show that PS5 sales grew by about 65% in 2023 to 22.5 million units this year, whereas Xbox sales fell, up, fell about 15% to 7.6 million. Wow, wow. That means that PlayStation <laughs> 5 has outsold the Xbox Series X and S by almost 3 to 1. The near seven-year-old Nintendo Switch, meanwhile, saw sales fall 18% to 16.4 million. People still buying up them Nintendo Switches. Uh, in 2023, Nintendo is expected to release its next-gen console in 2024. So, I mean, we don't cover a lot of gaming stuff here. I just find this additionally fa fascinating because this is a lot of people's home entertainment system. That's come very prevalent recently with Discovery taking away a bunch of the Discovery content away from people who bought that content on the PlayStation 5 platform. But that's another discussion for another time. Ray, I got to ask you. <laughs> is I mean, is this is this Vince Carter at the dunk contest? Is this it's over? Look, it's hey, over. Hey, is this hey, over? Hey, PlayStation hey. won the battle. Is that it? You know what? It's been over. And I don't care. Like, Because <laughs> you're an Xbox guy. No, I am an Xbox yeah. guy mainly because I was the one pegged in my group of friends to get it. And I said, oh, it's an American console. I'll support a, a, something made in America, you know, go America. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's just because, you know, it's just because, you know, when we were kids, we couldn't buy all the consoles. So one of a, one of us bought something. So my other friend bought a Dreamcast. And if we went over and we played it enough, we would decide, oh, I like that console enough where I'm going to ask for one. So I was the Xbox guy. I didn't really like it at first. But then what the Xbox gave me was the community, the messaging, the multiplayer, and as everyone knows, I'm a multiplayer player. And like, um, I still had a PlayStation 4, but that was for, I, I would buy all the single player games for that. That's why I think, and plus right now, I don't think it needs a, they're not trying to sell hardware anymore. Xbox seems like they're done with the hardware with this Game Pass. I haven't turned my Xbox on in ages. I'm actually playing Game Pass on this monitor. Because it has the Game Pass app. Don't we, tell your boss that. I'm just saying. When we were, <laughs> don't don't tell we were, your boss that. <laughs> when we, right when we, now, as we speak, and I'm supposed right now, to be working. Lunch break. I can do what I want. <laughs> yeah. So, like, I, I, I'm I'm pretty sure PlayStation has always defeated Xbox. It's not a new thing. Uh, good for them. I love PlayStation. I love Xbox. I just wear a lot more Xbox stuff than PlayStation. It's a lot easier to match green than uh, purple blue, whatever it is. <laughs> So, but you raise you raise an interesting point though, because with Game Pass, I mean there are people who can enter the Xbox ecosystem without owning an Xbox, right? Whereas now that I will say this though, the PlayStation I have two PlayStation fives. So I got one here in the office. Course. I got one at home. <laughs> got to got to have one wherever you, you go. go <laughs> but I mean it's it's such a good user interface. Like if you're going to use it not just as a gaming system, but I mean as a home entertainment system like to access your Netflix or your whatever, which I don't, but I have at times done that. And it's got a very intuitive, easy to use I feel interface. Like, I feel like it's what you're used to. Cause I feel like Xbox, yeah. uh, for me, it's way more intuitive to like move around from app to app. Whereas my PlayStation, it's like, I got to go scroll all the way over and then drop in and then close that thing and then open a thing. But 
I mean, you know, I mean, I think it's just what you're used to. Yeah, and I'm surprised you didn't set up your projector room to be controlled by that PlayStation Five. It's just a sweet machine and a sweet thing you're playing. You've attached to it. I'm surprised <clears throat> you don't use like Netflix through that. You you, you could, but. I, I don't care what game system it is. Yeah. As a home entertainment system hub, game systems are shit yeah, compared are. to like an actual dedicated right. thing like a Chromecast they need or whatever. To drop that. I think they do need to drop that, to be honest. A lot of TVs come with everything that they used to do. Yeah, that used to be a selling point. It's not a selling point anymore. Yeah, yeah. Rob? I have one comment that I think that it should be taken into consideration. PlayStation 5s were very difficult to come by for yeah. the first for the first yeah. years of their their availability. And then suddenly there was a deluge of them and everybody could get them. So I think PlayStation sales have been goosed by the fact that you can now get them when you couldn't before. But the reason you couldn't before is because they were all selling out. Well, yeah, yeah, like, that's, that's what I mean. It's not that's like they weren't being the, sold. Right? Yeah, they, but they, didn't, they just didn't have enough uh, a product that's to meet the COVID, demand. That's because COVID, the, the yeah. manufacturing yeah. shut down. Yeah, yeah, COVID manufacturing shut down. Now it's not. And then also they've done things like they've got the Spider-Man 2 version. Yeah. Of, uh, of, well, that's of what it has. 2. You know, PlayStation... I primarily was always an Xbox person, but I had both. But but let's face it, PlayStation has great titles. I mean, they have the Last yeah. of Us franchise. They've got Ghost of... Well, uh, they're way ahead when it comes to exclusive oh, titles. Yeah. God, Tsushima, of War, yeah, God of War, Last of Us. Ghost of Tsushima. It's, the gap Ghost is Tsushima. only going to get bigger with them Days releasing gone, the whatever. PlayStation Slim. Which yeah. people didn't like the PlayStation 5. If there was one reason, they couldn't fit it in their entertainment system. It was, yeah, they they made machine, it smaller, yeah. so it's just going to get yeah, bigger Yeah, but it's sexy. I haven't seen one. I, love I actually it. want to see one. In it looks like a. If there was a Star Trek game system, that would it would look like a PlayStation that's what it would look 5. Like. Yeah. All right, guys, with that down, let's move on to this, shall we? You know, back at CinemaCon uh, in April in Vegas, really, it started off with one thing. We got into the Celine Dion Theater at Caesars Palace there for the first time. <laughs> 5,000 seat place packed with movie theater owners, movie executives, all that kind of stuff. And they started off the whole thing with, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the stage, Oprah Winfrey. And everybody's like, what? And it's like, you, you, you feel yeah. like you're supposed to curtsy or something? Yeah. Or Everyone started checking under their chairs. Like, when <laughs> They're like, ooh, what did I get? Stage. So Oprah Winfrey comes out and she announces and talks about a new color purple. Only this one is going to be musical and it's going to be based on the stage play. It's going to be a movie version of the musical stage play. I was like, huh, this is interesting. And then they showed us this big preview for it. They showed us this big presentation for it. They brought out all the main stars, talked about it. And we were watching this. I'm like, this could be pretty good. I mean, like most people, I very fondly remember the original Color Purple. But it's like, this could be real good. I mean, and how good is the cast? Academy Award winner Lou Gossett Jr. is in this movie, and they don't even credit him. <laughs> like that, that's, how, that's how full this cast is, right? <coughs> and now, the first reviews for it have now come out. And right now, <coughs> the new color purple is sitting at 86%. And here's some of the critics I've been talking about. Brian Truitt from USA Today saying, from a huge gamophone to dizzying array of show-stopping uh, pants. The movie musical of The Color Pur Purple may be a different experience than the previous versions, but it's no less a breath breathtaking or vital. Uh, the film verdict writes, resonates powerfully both as an emotional drama and as a welcome addition to the mu movie musical canon. Newsday writes, The Color Purple does everything a big studio movie musical is supposed to. The BBC writes, 
straight through to the big finish with a spiritual song and a warm family reunion. The color purple is shameless in its wish to be loved by the audiences. That may be calculated, but the strategy works in this vivid uh, alternate take on the classic story. Vanity Fair writes, it's an adaptation that stands narrative edges and rushes through things, but also captures a spirit universal to all color purple iterations while proving a sturdy showcase for the rousing songs. Entertainment Weekly says, uh, if there's no other reason for this movie to exist, uh, permanently capturing uh, Berino's performance is sufficient. The San Francisco Chronicle writes, a flawed film with some bright spots. So not the most glowing. Well, what kind one. Of a, Carla Meyer, you can do better than that. <laughs> that's, that's just their excerpt. Now, the Globe and Mail didn't like the film. They wrote, as the numbers uh, keep it moving reminds the characters, life can never break your soul. But... This version of The Color Purple cannot find the right mix of the latter to ensure the, fo- the, to ensure the former. So, a lot of very positive feedback. Not 100%, not, not a lot of people saying this is the best movie of the year or anything like that. But Rob, coming out of what we saw at CinemaCon back in April, I am personally very, uh, let's say, satisfied to see that the reviews seem to be pretty darn solved for. Because I've been looking forward to seeing this ever since CinemaCon. And this... Movie is, I don't know that I'm the target demographic for the movie, but I'll tell you what, it looked good in April. I think the trailers have looked good. It's good to hear the reviews right now. What do you think about this? Well, first of all, The Color Purple, the original, 85 Spielberg's original, was the second movie in my life I ever cried in, openly. Mm. The first was Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. But uh, (laughs) I I love The Color Purple. I've seen it a million times. I love the soundtrack. Quincy Jones' score was amazing. And I I was a little dubious, John. But yes, it wasn't just the power of Oprah Winfrey. And I have to tell you, like you pointed out, when she comes out on that stage, you you saw a, an auditorium full of thousands of people instantly humbled. Yeah. I mean, yeah. she, Oprah Winfrey has power. I mean, it, it exudes from her. But the power of what they showed us was undeniable. Uh, this movie looked like it had verve and energy. The performances you could tell were great, beautifully shot. The musical numbers were incredibly, and you and I are song and dance men. We like mm-hmm. our musicals. Yes, we do. So I, I think this musical uh, version of this film is something I've been looking forward to since CinemaCon. I can't wait to see it. Um, and I, uh, you know, there's so many great performances in the original. It's nice to hear that there's great performances in this too, because that's one of the things that makes the movie so great is all of the actors, including Oprah Winfrey in her debut. She was incredible in, in, in the film. How good was Whoopi in that? And Whoopi was in, everybody was, you know, Larry Fishburne's in that movie. You know, pardon me, Lawrence Fishburne. It's it's okay. it, the movie is so great, and I I'm really looking forward to this film. I really can't wait to see it. Does it open tomorrow? Uh, no, I think it opens. I think Christmas it opens twenty fifth. Yeah, yeah. So it's opens week. next week. All right, guys. With that down, let's move on to this, shall we? Percy Jackson and the Olympians, the new Disney Plus series, has now launched with its first two episodes. Now we talked the other day about the fact that the first reactions from some critics who got to see the first number of uh, episodes in advance were all very, very positive. And listen, I'm somebody who liked the original movies with Logan Lerman. I, I like those movies. Yeah. I had fun with them. Now, I'd never read the books. So, I mean, I get it. When every something comes up that's based on books, it's not as good as the book. Well, I wasn't one of those people. I just saw the movies. And I didn't like the second one as good as the first one, but I liked the first movie. It was fine. But yeah, Walker Scoble was going to be the new Percy Jackson. 
Like, like that caught my attention. Okay, the reviews have been good, whatever. Last night, it debuted. Now, you got to understand the context of this. Disney Plus, and I don't think it's hyperbole to say this, in its years of existence now, has absolutely completely fallen on its face and failed to deliver a great original series that wasn't Marvel or Star Wars. I think that's fair to say. Now, all due respect to anybody who's a high school musical, the musical, the musical Woo. show, whatever it's called. But they haven't, they tried to do it with Willow. Mm-hmm. That didn't work. Wah, wah. That, that, that didn't work out. We had high hopes. That didn't work. So I was admittedly, even though the early reactions have been good for Percy Jackson, I was kind of skeptical. So Ann and I sat down last night, popped it on, settled in to watch the first two episodes. Disney has finally launched a great show that isn't either Star Wars or Marvel. And they haven't done a lot of great Star Wars or Marvel, but they've done one or a couple of great Star Wars. They've finally given us something great. I thought the first two episodes of this show were absolutely wonderful. Not The Last of Us good, not House of the Dragon good, but Walker Scoble is going to be a star. This kid is going to be a star. He's He's got all, I mean, he's still a, child actor in many ways who knows what he'll develop but i'm telling you right now he's got all got all the tools i thought the the characters what was endearing i really love the relationship between him and his mother the kid they've got playing grover the what do they call that he's not a centaur he's like a half centaur it's called uh i can't remember the name of the mythical creature that just has goat legs oh Uh, Oh. yeah ah i can't remember the name of it I'm sure somebody in the live chat yeah. will know what it is. A sat- satire. Sater. A satyr. A satyr. That's right. The kid who plays Grover is great. Mm. I love the kid who played Grover. I love when they get to the camp for the demigods. Jason, I never know how to pronounce his last name. It's a big, long Greek last name. Jason Sardukas or whatever. He was in Parks and Rec. Right. Um, Sardukas. Sar- Sardu, Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> he plays Dionysus. Okay. He's he's a small part in the first couple of episodes. Great. Um, I I just love that they build the kind of the mystery of it, like who's your which god is his father? Who's your can't daddy? Be, can't be one of the big three, right? Can't be Zeus, Hades, or Poseidon, because they're not allowed to have children anymore. They build it up great. And listen, some Disney Plus shows have been guilty of starting strong, finishing weak. And maybe that's what'll happen with this Disney Plus show. But I got to say, I'm very pleasantly surprised. I was not expecting something to be great, but I thoroughly enjoyed myself watching this. Rob, where's your expectations been? I'm, I'm going to assume you didn't have a chance to catch it. I haven't seen it yet. I didn't know, actually didn't know it dropped, but it sounds it sounds good. I mean, I want to see it. You know, I kind of like the movie, but there's two movies, right? Yeah, they did two yeah. of them. Yeah. I like the first movie. I, I'll watch this. By the way, when you were saying Sardukas, this was a flashback to the movie I Love You, Man. J.K. Simmons, the father, you know, he's best friends. Oh, my brother, Jerry Sandukas or whatever. Yeah, Mark, uh, yeah, yeah, I think it was Frank Mardukas. You're right. You're Frank, right. My, my be- and my best friend, Frank Mardukas. I think it's Frank Mardukas. I, just, I don't know yeah, why. my other best friend. My- yeah, and it's, it's, I miss those kinds of comedies. I watched Get Him to the Greek the other night with Elizabeth, and she's like, this movie's not as funny as you think it is. And I'm like, yes, it is. But um, the I lo- I'm looking forward to this. And to hear that it's a great show, I mean, Disney should be banging out these kinds of shows. Mm. And 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 doing them right. I mean, this is the exact place this should live. And to hear that it's Caswell and and you think it's you you called it wonderful. 
it's it's wonderful. And you know, I, I because I'm not a, a fan of the books, I don't care. Like a lot of people made a big deal out of I can't I never know how to pronounce the author's name. Ro- Rodian, Roydan, whatever. Oh, Reardon. What's that? Reardon. Reardon. Okay, I just think steroids. Reardon. Okay. A lot of people have made a big deal out of the fact that Reardon, who didn't love the original films, is 100% behind this. Like, he's like, no, this is being done right. This is the way this is supposed to be done. So I don't really care about that because I didn't read the books. I don't care about the books. But I can see why he was excited about it. It it's captures that, that awe and wonder and... I really dig it. It's well, isn't it interesting that that if that's the case, they involve the original creator, uh, a One Piece, successful, same thing. Right. It, 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 I think this should be, hey, Hollywood, the people that actually wrote these original stories that you're adapting, why not include them in the creative Does process? Doesn't always work. Doesn't uh, always work. Did they, did they, they are two different mediums, right? Did they Some, um, drop uh, all of the episodes? Two. They, they, they launched the first two episodes. That's uh, generally Disney's yeah. thing. Okay, they do, so, generally do week to week. So you have eight eight episodes. There's going to be eight in total? Yeah. So the guy can uh, end up being the master Seder. The master, master Seder? Dude. <laughs> <laughs> I'm done, He's ladies out. and gentlemen. Thank you. He's gone. <laughs> I just can't top that. I had the set up in my head, and it just came out just like a blur. Sorry. All right. <laughs> Guys, with that down, we're going to talk a little bit about that Quentin Tarantino Star Trek film that one Academy-nominated writer said is was going to be the greatest Star Trek ever. Uh, Zack Snyder is saying, oh, yeah, this Rebel Moves coming out. It's going to be nothing like the director's cut. Okay. And Warner Brothers has not allowed the reviews to come out for Aquaman 2, despite the fact that we're just over 24 hours away from this movie coming out into theaters. We're going to talk about that and a few things more, but before we do, we're going to take a quick second here and thank a couple of sponsors of today's episode of the John Campus Show podcast, our friends at Factor and Quip. Guys, we want to thank a sponsor of this video, Factor. This bustling holiday season, you might be looking for nutritious, flavorful meals to fuel you on jam-packed days. Factor, America's number one ready-to-eat meal delivery service, can help you eat well for breakfast, lunch, and dinner with chef-prepared, dietitian approved ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. You'll save time and stay on track with your healthy lifestyle while tackling all your holiday to-dos. Cross meal prepping off your list this holiday season with Factor. Skip the meal planning, grocery shopping, chopping, prepping, and cleaning up, and get Factor fresh, never-frozen meals delivered to your door. They're ready in just two minutes, so all you have to do is heat and enjoy. Choose from 35-plus chef-crafted meals every week that support a healthy lifestyle and meet your meal preferences. Looking for calorie-conscious options over the holidays that don't skimp on the flavor? Try delicious, dietitian approved calorie-smart meals with around or less than 550 calories per serving. And Factor isn't just for dinner. Count on extra convenience any time of the day with an assortment of 55-plus add-ons to suit various preferences and tastes. So guys, head to factormeals.com campia50 and use the code CAMPIA50 to get 50% off. That's code CAMPIA50 at factormeals.com slash CAMPIA50 to get 50% off. Guys, we want to take a second to thank the sponsor of today's video, 
Quip. Good health starts with good habits, and Quip makes forming good dental habits easy by delivering all of the oral care essentials that you need to care for your mouth. I've already told you guys about their incredible toothbrush that is now my favorite toothbrush I've ever owned, and their mints and gum are amazing. But now I want to tell you about their water flosser. It hits all the right spots with gentle or deep cleaning pressure at the touch of a button. And don't worry about recharging. The cordless rechargeable battery lasts up to eight weeks with daily use, no bulky charger, or dock or tangled cords. It blasts away up to 99.9% of plaque and popcorn from treated areas with precision thanks to the 360-degree rotating magnetic floss tip that snaps right into place. It's easy to control water flow that leaves you feeling squeaky clean. And the sleek and slim design, it keeps your countertops as clean as your teeth. So guys, if you go to getquip.com campia right now, you'll get 20% off any electric toothbrush, mint and gum dispenser, and water flosser. That's 20% off any electric toothbrush, mint and gum dispenser, water flosser at getquip.com slash campia. Spelt G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash campia. Quip, the good habits company. <laughs> so you're saying there's a chance. Uh, never mind. You guys don't know what we're talking about and you never will. Uh, thank you to our friends at Factor and Quip for sponsoring today's episode of the John Campia Show podcast. All right, guys, with that down, Let's move on to this. Some of you will remember that a few years ago, might have been 2017, internet exploded when Quentin Tarantino said, I'm going to do a Star Trek movie. I've talked to J.J. Abrams. We've gone to Paramount. They love the pitch. We're going to be developing. I said, I may direct it. We're going to make this Star Trek movie. And everybody got excited. And all the memes started going around of John Travolta and Samuel Jackson in Star Trek uniforms. And, you know, say Prime Directive one more time. Anyway, so. <laughs> like oh, you and, saw it playing out. And, and then it just kind of went away. It just kind of very quietly, nothing ever came of it. It kind of went off into the good night. Well, now, Mark Smith, who wrote the Academy Award winning film, The Revenant, the movie that finally got Leonardo DiCaprio his first Academy Award. Mark Smith was working the script with him, was, was writing the script with him. And Mark Smith is now saying, this was going to be the greatest Star Trek film of all time. Uh, this comes from the folks over at Variety who said this. And this is Smith talking. He says, Quentin and I went back and forth. He was going to do some stuff on it. And then he started worrying about the number. I mean, this was, of course, he only had one more movie to do. Uh, his kind of unofficial number of films, Smith said, I remember we were talking, he goes, if I can just wrap my head around the idea that Star Trek could be my last movie, the last thing I will ever do, is this how I want to end it? And I think that was the bump he could never get across. So the script is still sitting there on his desk. Uh, and he goes on, I know he has said a lot of nice things about it. Uh, I would love for it to happen, Smith said. It's just one of those things that I can't ever see happening, but it would be the greatest Star Trek film, not for my writing, but just for what Quentin Tarantino was going to do with it. It was just a balls out kind of thing. But I think his vision was just to go hard. It was a hard R. It was going to be some Pulp Fiction violence, Smith continued. Not a lot of language. We saved a couple of things just for special characters to kind of drop into that Star Trek world. But it was just really... Uh, with the edginess and that kind of Tarantino flair, man, what he was going to bring to it, it would have been cool. And I think that's what a lot of people 
when Quentin Tarantino first came out and said he was going to do Star Trek, that's exactly what a lot of people, I think, had going through their heads. That's what they wanted. And I'll tell you the reason I was excited about it. The reason I was excited about it was because when you got an all-time great kind of filmmaker like a Quentin Tarantino, my one critique, my one critique for the great Quentin Tarantino is that he's never really in his career ventured outside of his sandbox. You know, Quentin Tarantino's got a certain kind of film he likes to do and make his films a certain way that fit within this one sandbox. And they've been glorious. He's made some of the most gorgeous, beautiful sandcastles in the history of the business. But I kind of got excited because I'd be like, what would Quentin Tarantino do if he could step outside that sandbox a little I, bit. I feel the same way. And I feel like this could have been like a Quentin Tarantino adjacent. So he wouldn't have to put it towards his count because it's like an Elseworlds for him. You know yeah, what I mean? Like, but, but I mean, if he directed it, it would have to. I know, but, I but like he has like a, a, a repertoire of his own, right? And this would be a, 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 like, you know, an addendum to that. He, he could do it. Now, Rob, what's interesting here is the guy saying this is not some schlub intern over right. at Paramount. This is the guy who wrote The Revenant is saying, I think this would have been the greatest Star Trek thing ever. I mean, and and what was also exciting to me, and maybe not exciting to you, I, I don't know, but not only was I excited about it, it would be something different for Quentin, be something different for Star Trek. And, and to see what they could have done with that. And this just kind of makes me lament even more we're not getting it. And uh, you hear his comments... What do you think? And do you think maybe this ever could see the light of day? Well, I, I do actually. And here's the thing. Quentin Tarantino is a writer director and he didn't write the script. Right. So it's odd. He kind, to, of, he kind of came up with the story. Yeah, he, he came, came up with the story. The here's what I don't right. understand. Like Quentin Tarantino, after his success in the mid nineties, he started his own releasing company, which was Rolling Thunder. He put out like Switchblade Sisters and he put out Wong Kar Wise. Um, uh, Chungking Express. That's where the first time I saw a Wong Kar Wai movie because he released it in this country. I don't understand why he doesn't make this a Quentin Tarantino Presents and have someone else direct it. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, with his, his oversight, you know, make it like like Toby Hooper doing Poltergeist. Spielberg was there, Spielberg was involved. And because it, Quentin Tarantino is not, he's not going to direct, <laughs> he was never going to direct a movie he didn't write. He just was never going to do that. So I never thought that this this was a movie that he was going to direct anyway, because like he said, he's going to make 10 movies. He's a writer director and he's truly an auteur in every sense of the word. But if this script exists written by a guy who wrote The Revenant, which is a great film, um, I don't see that there's any reason why this movie couldn't see the light of day and that Quentin Tarantino, maybe after he does his 10th film, The Movie Critic or whatever it winds up being called, that they, why not do this? Because this might be, you know, I, I often said before the new iteration of, of of Star Trek when Discovery came out from Secret Hideout, I said, why not go back and do what they did with Galactica? Rather than try and make films in Star Trek continuity, why not go back to the beginning and take all of the Star Trek elements and reimagine the universe? You know, you don't have to, this idea of setting it in continuity or whatever, Galactica did a wonderful job of, of retaining the spirit of what 
the original Galactica was Greatest about. Greatest show of all time, my friend. It's a it's an amazing show, and they kept all the elements. And I, the gender swap. No one ever complains about the gender swapping of Starbuck. They did before it happened, but oh yeah, they Katie did Sackhoff. Happened, but yeah. Katie Sackhoff completely. I mean, I like Dirk Benedict, but don't get me wrong. The original Galactica was never that great. And I'll tell you, I think that this could there there's something that could really be done here. And I think it would be great for the franchise. I mean, the Kelvin verse movies are often an alternate universe. Do the Tarantino verse in Star Trek. This could be the shot in the arm that Star Trek really could use. And if the script is that good, why not have someone else direct it? Yeah, he could produce I mean, script over oversight. Absolutely. Yeah. Like have Tarantino come in, because this wouldn't count. Have Tarantino uh, J.J. Abrams, uh, uh, Mark Smith, come in and sit down with, and you know, talk to some director and say, "This was T Quentin's vision for this film. Here's the script. Do you think you can bring this vision to the screen?" I see somebody, some people in the live chat already saying, "Robert Rodriguez." I, I don't think I'd want it to be Robert Rodriguez, but I think there are other directors that could come in and get in tune with Quentin Tarantino, what Tarantino's vision is, mm -hmm. and bring the screen. And maybe it's something they can do later. Uh, you know, you know, it, off the top of my head, you know uh, who I think should do this. Uh, let me give you a few movies this person has made: Shaun of the Dead, Baby Driver, Edgar, Edgar Wright. Edgar Wright would be Edgar so Wright directing good for this movie, this script. I know Edgar Wright is also an auteur, but Edgar Wright would. Nail this. If the script is that good, Quentin Tarantino presents Edgar Wright's Star Trek or whatever. I I would completely be down for that. Bruh. 100% I'd be down for that. Once again, Robert Burnett should be in charge of Paramount Peck. and Star Trek, but Simon no, Peck whatever. Simon can still no, be Scotty. <laughs> and Simon no, Pegg can Simon still Peck be Scotty. Well, you know, there's no... By the way, the cast for the Kelvinverse is great. Oh, it's an amazing cast. And if they've yeah. got this, I mean, you put that cast... In this movie, directed by Edgar Wright, you know what? It would outgross anything the Kelvinverse has already done. Uh, possibly could. <laughs> All right. Guys, question is for you. What do you think? Do you wish this movie had gotten made? Maybe it still can get made just without Quentin. Or, listen, I still don't believe Quentin Tarantino's not going to direct another movie after The Movie Critic. I still believe at some point he's going to get the creative itch, and maybe the Star Trek film will be his triumphant comeback in about four or five years. Who knows? We'll see. All right, with that down, guys, let's move on to this, shall we? Uh, one film that comes out, what, tomorrow? Is it not tomorrow? Rebel Moon. I think Drops is coming on the 21st, 21st now, right? Yep. Tomorrow, At Rebel Moon Drops. And I'm excited to see it. Uh, the critic reviews have not been great. And before any whiners want to go, because the critics have a thing against Zack Snyder, go look at his last movie. They gave positive reviews to his last movie. They actually they gave positive reviews to his last two movies, um, you know, uh, Army of the Dead got very respectable reviews, whatever. But they're not, and maybe now we know why. Maybe now we know why, because according to reports coming out, Zack Snyder's basically saying, "Oh yeah, the Rebel Moon you're about to watch, not even really the movie. It's not it. I'm going to do a director's cut, and it's a totally different movie," <laughs> which has some people like me going, "Well." Well, the, why, then why are we getting the one that we're getting tomorrow? And a place like Forbes, I, I think, is very accurately calling them out when they put up a headline like this. Forbes is asking, Rebel Moon will suffer because of Netflix's obvious Snyder Cut stunt. And like, what, what do you mean? And this is putting the blame not on Zack Snyder, but on, on Netflix. What do they mean by this stunt? Well, let, first of all, let's go over and take a look to see 
what it was Zack Snyder was saying. Snyder said this. In this case, I almost think the director's cut of Rebel Moon is an alternative reality version, Snyder says. It's not an extended cut of this movie. It's almost like a different movie. The reason for that is that it's such a philosophical thing to shoot a director's cut of a movie before you finish the main version. He goes on to say, We knew it would be PG-13 movie, but in my heart of hearts, I always wanted it to be rated R. But you realize it's not 100% responsible to have that in the demand. It was Netflix's idea who said, Why don't you do whatever you want over here? Here's the PG version, then go nuts. We don't care. That's really the thing that I've never experienced before. It's so bizarre. All right. I think, now, if you guys, I highly encourage you to go and find the Forbes article. Read it for yourself. Because what I think this article really accurately does is they call out Netflix for this, for what it clearly is. This is clearly a gimmick stunt. It's clearly a gimmick stunt. Because as the writer of the article pointed out, this isn't like a theatrical release. Right. You don't have to worry about it being rated R. What, did Netflix tell Martin Scorsese, uh, give us a PG version of The Irishman first. <laughs> and then then we'll put a, give us a 95-minute PG version of The Irishman. And then later we'll put out the Scorsese cut that's four hours long and hard R. No, they, they, they never did that. This is on a streaming service. It doesn't matter if it's PG-13. It doesn't matter if it's rated R. It doesn't matter at all. What this is is a blatant stunt to try to artificially recreate the Snyder Cut buzz. That's all this is. And again, I don't blame Zack Snyder for this. This is clearly Netflix. And as the article goes on and points out, now this is going to be Netflix being able to potentially quadruple dip. It's like, hey, ladies and gentlemen, we got Rebel Moon, but then we've got the Rebel Moon Rebel Cut. (laughs) And then we've got Rebel Moon 2. The Moon Cut. And then we got Rebel Moon 2 director's cut. Yeah, the D-cut. The D-cut. <laughs> it's like a circumcision for your soul, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. The D-cut. Snyder-cision. Get that D-cut, baby. Wow. Oh, boy. <laughs> what, man? I'm just... Snyder-cision. <laughs> so... I've been circumsnidered. <laughs> Snyder size. All right, off the rail. Uh, Let's go. So the deep cut. So and and so what Forbes also goes on to properly point out is says they have intentionally handicapped what is supposed to be the regular movie. So the regular movie is like a totally different movie than the extent. So what's the point? What is it you're making? And I agree with Forbes here. I think this is, t- is a terrible stunt. And maybe this has something to do with why the critics who watched the regular cut that's coming out tomorrow looked at and said, this isn't good. Well, maybe if they just let Snyder make one good movie and not worry about trying to artificially create this gimmick of Snyder cut for Rebel Moon, maybe this movie would have been better. Now, again, I'm saying this is somebody who hasn't seen Rebel Moon yet. Maybe I'll watch it and I'll love it. It wouldn't be the first time I've loved a movie that a lot of other people didn't like. But uh, again, I I agree with Forbes on this. This is a cheap, cheap, stupid gimmick stunt. Make How about you make one movie and put all of your energy and effort into making this one movie the best movie it can be? How about you do that? Let him do that. How about, like, isn't that crazy? And you're a fucking streaming service. It doesn't matter if it's rated R. It doesn't matter if it's 17 hours. Oh, and by the way, 
Why does it have to be a shorter version? You're doing two of them. It's not like it's not like you have to cut back. Anyway, Rob, you heard about all this. What what are you thinking? I think it's odd. You know, I'm reading Zack Snyder's comments going, that's like a totally different movie. I'm like, I don't look, I understand why there's three versions of Watchmen. You know, the the the, the third version has everything in it, including the animated Tales of Black Freighter. I get it. I understand. You know, and there's different versions of Sucker Punch and I think a different version of 300. But this movie, when you're coming out of the gate saying that, yes, it's this big Netflix franchise property. It's not even theatrical, so the rating doesn't really matter. I don't understand. I'm like, what am I supposed to get excited for here? My inclination is, well, I'd like to see the movie that was your original R-rated vision. Why do I have to watch a uh, 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 what is circumsnidered version yeah, first? Circumsnider. I want to see the full uncut version of his movies. That's it works. The, un- the uncircumsnidered cut. Yes, the uncircumsnidered cut. In theaters, you don't have to worry about the runtime or worry about the rating. It's going to be on your streaming platform. It, it, it doesn't just, matter. It, it doesn't make any sense to me because I'll tell you something, John. Uh, even I'll, I'm gonna watch Rebel Moon because I have to do a designing Hollywood about it, you know, on Friday. <laughs> I'll watch Rebel Moon tomorrow night, but I won't enjoy it as much knowing that there's a version that. Oh well, I I'd much rather see that the R rated the real version. That, yeah, I'm that's not the real a, version. version. Well, that this yeah. that's exactly how I felt about Napoleon. Yeah, it's so I'm like, thing. well, then why? Because I'd rather see the four hour version. Ah, that's the which movie. is going to be on Apple Plus, and, we, and I, I I I really hate that. It's like really Scott's Kingdom of Heaven. Uh, the theatrical version's okay, but the real long version is a masterpiece. It's a totally different movie. It's a totally different experience. Why are you giving us these things? I mean, it's so weird. You, it's like people who try and they, they're like, I'm going to make a cult movie. Like, I'm going to make the new Rocky Horror Picture Show. Mm. You can't set out to make Rocky Horror Picture Show. It just happens. The audience makes it happen. You can't force this. And I, I like, I just give me the movie you want, Zach. What do you want to show me? Yeah, again, I don't think this is a Zack Snyder thing. I think this is a Netflix I'm thing. I'm sure it is. I think this is a Netflix thing. Just, again, trying to pull this cheap gimmick, trying to recreate the, release the Snyder cut of Rebel, like, <laughs> just give us the best movie you can. Look, I'm still looking forward to watching this. Yeah. Movie. I still am, but I'm going to be like you. Now I'm going to be sitting there watching, knowing in the back of my head, this isn't really the movie. And and so, I, I don't know. You know. On one hand, I'm glad to be circumsnidered, but in this case, <laughs> yeah. I do not want to see the, I want to see the full uncut version. Yeah. And, and it's always nice to see Sophia Botella on screen again. She's been away for a little bit. Well, listen, I, I, I've said from the beginning, one of the things, and of course you got Charlie Hunnam, who's oh, Charlie the star Hunnam, of one of my all-time favorite too? TV shows. He was Jax in, uh, in Sons of Anarchy. Pacific Rim, Jaimon yeah. Jaimon Hansu is in there. Great cast. But, you know, with Sophia Botella, she has never been a lead. And I've I, and she's first and foremost she's not an actress first and foremost she's a dancer but she's done a lot of smaller roles right done a lot of smaller roles I've always liked her and they obviously she burst onto the scene with all for all of us in the Kingsman but she, she was in a Star Trek movie I really liked her in that Star Trek movie right Jayla so I've been really interested to see oh and she was great in Atomic Blonde she was in Star Trek yeah I forgot painted white and yeah. by the way if it's hard R and you got Sophia Butella come on. Why do I have to wait? Listen, I'm sorry, but if you want porn, you can just hop on the internet. But (laughs) one of the sexiest scenes I've ever seen in a movie was Charlize Theron and Sophia Batella in Atomic Blonde. Yeah. That is, and it's not even real explicit. It's just steamy. They did such a good job. So I've been very- 
And that's why I've been really interested. <laughs> What's your password again, John? <laughs> I have to add it in on your queue. Why is this movie, <laughs> why is this movie pinned on the app? It's just pinned. I've, I've been really interested to see how will Sophia Batella do as a lead? Can she carry a film? Yeah. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see how that goes. Dude, you made me watch. I didn't know she had dance videos on the internet. How good is she? Dude. She's how great. good Dude, is she? Dude, I mean, I mean, you know, she, not since Rosie Perez in the opening of Do the Right Thing, have I been so mesmerized by a woman dancing? She's incredible. She's like, like, incredible. Like, sometimes you get a famous actor who's good at something and you can exaggerate how good they are. She is a world class dude. Dude, unbelievable. Yeah. So good. All right. Dude. With that down. Dude. I got a lot of people in the live chat saying, now I got to go watch Atomic Blonde. Uh, it's a I'm good little it. movie. You should see it. It is good. All right. Great score, too. Great soundtrack. With that down, guys, let's move on to this, shall we? You know what? Maybe Warner Brothers is wishing they had Snyder sized Aquaman 2. Here's the thing Circumsnydered. Circumsnydered. Aquaman 2 comes out in about just a hair over 24 hours from now. This movie that was supposed to come out a year ago, the follow-up to the biggest box office success film the DCEU had ever had, with the first Aquaman making over a billion dollars. And you'd think, you'd think that they'd want Buzz to get out there. I mean, we talked a little bit earlier in the show about how it's tracking to have the lowest opening weekend of the lowest opening of any Marvel film with the Marvels. And it's going to come in under that a four-day weekend is going to come in less than the Marvels made in its opening three-day weekend. So you'd think, well, hey, let's let's let the reviews get out there, get people talking about the reviews coming out in the buzz. Well, Warner Brothers has just fired a massive flare into the air that says we don't believe in this movie because here we are, about twenty-four hours from when Ray and I are going to go see this movie. Well, when you are. Well, <laughs> and I, Ray's going to be watching Atomic Blonde <laughs> on, on repeat. I, and the reviews are still not out. As a matter of fact, the review embargo doesn't lift until tomorrow morning. The nice. day the movie comes out is when the review embargo is being lifted. Now, the early social media reaction embargo lifts not until later today. Oh, boy. The day before. I used to early social media reactions coming out a week, two weeks, two and a half weeks before a film comes out. Here we are, 24 hours. They still haven't lifted the social media embargo. What this tells me, and I say this to some of you, if you've watched me for this past year, you know I'm looking forward to watching this movie. I love J.J. Momo. I can't wait to see P. Willie. <laughs> I, I've, I, I really enjoyed the first movie. I've liked every single DCEU movie except for two. I didn't like the Harley Quinn movie. I didn't like Wonder Woman 84. Other than that, I've given positive reviews to every single DCEU movie. Some of them I've loved. But Warner Brothers has basically just sent me a telegram as a fan. Says, hey, you might want to skip this because we think this movie sucks. Warner Brothers has just basically told the world, we think this movie sucks. And my constant refrain to stuff like this is, hey, studio, if you don't believe in this movie, why should I? Now, I've already bought my tickets, and I'm looking forward to seeing it. I am. But it is no surprise that the opening weekend box office projections are so low because one of the things they have, a free piece of marketing, a free piece of marketing is get the review buzz out. 
Let the reactions start coming out. Let the, the first reaction, social media, blah, blah, blah. They forego to premiere. They had a premiere planned. They skipped it, just did a press screening, then had an after party. They had no red carpet walking, no buzz. They're hiding. As a matter of fact, a lot of the critics who still, you know, I don't go to any of these things anymore. But for the ones that do, they haven't even been allowed to see the movie yet. They're going to go see it this afternoon. I was talking to a couple of my friends today. I'm like, hey, when is the review embargo for this? They're like, we don't even have our press screening until today. The day before the movie comes out? Ladies and gentlemen, look, maybe we go into see Aquaman 2 tomorrow and we love it. I am going to keep my fingers crossed. I want this movie to be great. But let's be honest here. Warner Brothers has just told you. They've sent Harry, Harry Potter's owl from the Warner Brothers studio <laughs> to fly to you. Your own little, not Hagrid. What's the name of the stupid owl? Hedwig. 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 That's right. I was close. Yeah. The angry inch. Your own personal Hedwig. Warner Brothers has sent it out from the bowels of the water tower at Warner Brothers Studios with a little note that says, skip this. No, it says kingdom still lost. We can't find kingdom it. Kingdom still lost. We can't, <laughs> still find, lost it. We can't still. find it. We don't know where it is. What if they lost the files? They haven't been able to send it out to the theaters yet. And they're I just mean, like, uh. I've never understood this because look, even if the reviews are bad, and I can only assume they're going to be bad now, but even if the reviews are bad, okay, people are still going to be talking about it. It'll, it'll generate discussion. It'll, it's like they say there's no such thing as bad publicity. That's not true. There is bad publicity. Ask Jonathan Majors. But, but some public, even though, yeah, negative reviews is bad, but you at least, Rob, I believe if you're the movie studio, you got to stand behind your movie. Oh, yeah. And you got to say, you know what? We believe in this. Even if we don't think you will, we believe in this. Here's the movie, everybody. The review embargo is listed. Start talking about our movie. Stop and I just think the they're news. making a terrible mistake. Terrible mistake. What do you think about uh, this? Look, I agree with you. Whether a movie's good or bad, I mean, Warner Brothers has now taken this weird position that, okay, we're going to shelve Batgirl because it's going to ruin our... Our, our Batman franchise. Now you've got a movie that's coming on the heels of a former billion, the first movie made a billion dollars. Look, even if this is Highlander 2, even if they go to Zeiss in this movie, so you know, the planet Zeiss, um, I, I, I mean, at least they get behind it and, and put it out like, like it's great. You know, and if people don't like it, people didn't like The Matrix uh, Reloaded. They still put it out with massive hype. Yeah, they did. You know, it, it came was a out terrible and, movie, but at least they got every, behind it. They put, and you saw the character posters. And they said, and you know, if the studio doesn't do that, here's the thing: why would any filmmaker, after Batgirl, after why would you want to work for Warner Brothers? What what guarantee? Like this movie, they gave it another year in production. You know, they could have at any moment been looking at, and I understand there was regime change and all that and Peter Safran one of the producers of this movie is now running the new version of DC at least try you know at least but the, what they want to do is they're so they have such debt that they're like well we'll release it but the whole thing is a write-off anyway can you imagine John how much money I'll bet you they stand to lose I'll bet they spent 300 million dollars on this movie that just poof I don't understand how the studios can function. I read some headline. I didn't even read the article that said, could this movie make Warner Brothers Studios actually go broke? What are the interest payments on this film? The money they've borrowed. They're never going to get. So the, the, recu the recoupment there, I don't understand it at all. 
I mean, hell, dude, I worked at Warner Brothers when they put out Bomb Fire of the Vanities. I mean, it, it, they put the, all their eggs in that basket and promoted it. And the fact is, this is a filmmaker that has made them in the Conjuring verse a ton of money. Figure out a way to market it and lean into the goofiness. I mean, look, I, I am going to stay open to the possibility. Look, there's a possibility we may go see this movie tomorrow. And we may come out and go, yeah, I wouldn't have lifted the review embargo either. I mean, I don't know. Maybe, oh, I'm like, sure you might. Maybe it's that bad. I can't imagine James Wan would make a movie that bad. But, I mean. I mean, you know, they could knows? have done something fun like they did with Lethal Weapon 2. Over the Warner Brothers logo, you hear like the Looney Tunes logo and go from there. <laughs> what? And go, this is the Looney Tunes of superhero movies. Okay, that would just no. piss a lot of people off, Look, though, I think. That would piss a lot of people we off. Know, we know one thing 100%. P. Willie is going to give it his all. He's, He's going to be the standout. I think everybody's going to bring it. You know, heartache movie. is going to feel good in a place like I think heartache, <laughs> heartache is not going to feel good in Atlantis. I think there should be a right Patrick now. Wilson rating and then the movie rating. That's it. P. Willie rating on Rotten Tomatoes and then the movie. And then rating. the rest of the movie. But how is P. Willie? P. Willie should have his yeah, own yeah. RT score. Him, David but, Morris, all I mean, of them. It's also it's I mean, more so much we don't know because we haven't seen the movie yet, right? So we're, we're, we haven't seen the movie yet. I haven't seen the movie yet. So there's a lot we're, we don't know. But sometimes I feel for whether it's Paramount, Universal, A24, Disney, whatever, sometimes I'll feel bad, a little, or at least some empathy, some empathy. For a studio, when you like say put up a ton of money for something, allow a filmmaker to go and spend even more money doing reshoots, all this kind of stuff, and then you get delivered a turd. Like, and then what do you do with that? Like, what what are you supposed to do with it? And I, I I'm not gonna lie, I actually feel like watching Wonka one more time. Oh, it's so good. And, and and they're both Warner Brothers. So. They're both Warner Brothers. So yeah. they're gonna be competing against each other. Wonka second week, right? This week? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. this walk a second weekend. So, yeah. uh, we'll see. I just want to point out, John, what you could do tomorrow. What's You're that? seeing this movie at 3 o'clock? Yes, I am. You can see this movie at 3 o'clock. Let's say this movie's... You could you can be home by 6. You could watch the new episode of For All Mankind for an hour on Apple Plus. Then turn on Netflix and rock the Rebel Moon. No Monarchs. That no monarchs. is a and, triple... And, 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 and well, Monarchs. But here's oh, the thing. Yeah. There's a, I think I'm doing a double feature of the theaters tomorrow because oh. uh, American Fiction, I believe, yeah. also hits uh, yeah. gets a little American bit of Fiction a wider was great. Route. I saw it last night. Oh yeah, you saw it last night. How was it? Really good. Oh. Honestly, what you think is the main plot kind of takes a back seat, and it's really a story about his family. It's really beautifully written. It's it's great. I can't yeah. I can't wait to watch that movie. Anyway, tomorrow's gonna be a great day. <sighs> well. <it's- laughs> For some people. For some yeah. people. Maybe not for P. Willie. Um, maybe I'll just watch For All Mankind then. And J.J. Momo. <laughs> Episode we'll, we'll 7, see. bro. I, at least I got Monarch tomorrow. Oh, at yeah. least, no matter what, I got Monarch. And uh, we'll see how that There's goes. There's a lot of great stuff dropping. All right, guys. With that all down, we're going to go over now start taking your live comments and questions. Uh, but before we do, we're going to take another quick moment here and thank a couple more sponsors of today's episode of the John Caper Show podcast, our friends at Rocket Money, and my mobile service provider, and they should be yours, Mint Mobile. We want to take a second to thank a sponsor of today's episode, 
Rocket Money. Do you struggle to save money every month? With Rocket Money, you can quickly identify all those sneaky subscriptions that keep charging you month after month and cancel any you no longer use. For example, did you know that over 80% of people have subscriptions that they've completely forgotten about? It's too easy to subscribe to a free trial of something and then completely forget about it once you stop using it. That's why I'm such a big fan of Rocket Money. I've told you guys before that when I started using Rocket Money, I realized that I was still subscribed to a gym in another city I had moved away from two years ago. Also, my music service? Yeah, I found out I was still subscribed to two others. How much do you think you're paying a month on subscriptions? Most people think they're paying 80 bucks a month, but they're actually paying closer to 200. That's why I use Rocket Money. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps you lower your bills all in one place. With Rocket Money, you can easily cancel the ones you don't want with just the press of a button. With over 5 million users and counting, Rocket Money has helped save its customers on an average of $720 a year and $1 billion in total savings so far. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions and manage your money the easy way by going to rocketmoney.com slash campia. That's rocketmoney.com slash campia. Rocketmoney.com slash campia. Guys, we want to take a moment to thank a sponsor of today's video, Mint Mobile. Give yourself the gift of insane savings this holiday season with Mint Mobile's best wireless deal of the year. Right now, when you switch to Mint Mobile and buy any three-month plan, you'll get another three months for free. That's six months of premium wireless service for the price of three. And Mint Mobile lets you order and activate from home while saving tons on phone plans starting at just $15 a month. Seriously, I can't think of a better gift than turning an overpriced wireless bill into just $15 a month with Mint Mobile. I've told you guys many times since switching to Mint Mobile, I am spending less than a third on my mobile service plan with Mint than I was on the previous big carrier who was my provider. By going online only and eliminating the traditional cost of retail, Mint Mobile passes the significant savings on to you. All plans come with unlimited talk and text plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and switch easily and effortlessly with eSIM. So again, for a limited time, buy any three-month Mint Mobile plan and get three more months free by going to mintmobile.com slash campia. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash campia. And thank you to our friends at Rocket Money and Mint Mobile, helping us all to get circumsnidered and... Circumsnider <laughs> that wallet. Circumsnidering that wallet and uh, participating here and sponsoring the John Campia Show podcast. All right, guys, that down, let's get deep into the D-cut. Jonathan, what do we got up here first? All right, man. Uh, Jamel Turney says, am I the only one who thought Percy's mom looked like uh, MJ from 2002 Spider-Man? Um, Spider uh, uh, what's her name from Interview with a Vampire? Kirsten um, Dunst. Kirsten Dunst. Dunst. She, she does have a little bit of that look. A little bit of that look. Not entirely. She's got but like, You know what she look, reminded me more of? Um, who was the one character... The woman who was kind of running that town in Last of Us, whose brother she reminded me more of her. But yeah, she the mom was great. The mom was great. All right, what's next? We got Kyle Schneider releasing a cut of a movie when the studio already has plans to release an extended cut is absurd to me. First Napoleon, now Rebel Moon. Yeah, I'm, I'm like the whole idea of the director's cut was to be. Hey, the movie's out. It's done and stuff like that. But you know what? The director's like, I'm going to go back and I'm going to get... The fact that you're planning it, it just takes away... And I love the analogy you gave, Rob. It's like, you can't plan to make the next rock or horror picture show, <laughs> right? right? You, you make the best... You focused all of your attention on making the best movie you can, 
period. And then later, if something else comes along, you have a vision for something and go back and recut something. That's fine. But this is, this is artificial. This is pure artificial. I, uh, it's driving me crazy. All right. What's next? Uh, we got Chazelet who writes, uh, Kane variants shown in Ant-Man had the same face. At least the ones we saw. Yeah. Remember, there was like 70,000 of them in there. We saw the faces of maybe about 30 of them. Casting agents changed the face. So they may have had it or they may not. Uh, somebody, By the way, somebody in the live chat is saying about the, the director Scott and saying, saying, Lord of the Rings did it. Lord of the Rings was a theatrical film. Lord of the Rings had a studio going, uh, we can't put a four-hour movie in theaters. This is not a theatrical film. This is a straight-to-streaming thing. Mm -hmm. Right. So, I, I mean, it's different. Anyway. All right, what's next? Uh, Taylor Haywood says, will Chevy Chase ever may have a comeback? I don't no. Think so. I don't think he's doing well. No. Um, I, I've heard his health isn't great. Oh. Yeah. But Chevy Chase is also, understandably and deservedly, he's at that point in his career, he's like, I've done it all. I've got all the money I need. I don't have to go out there and do this crap. I don't, I don't have to work to. anymore. I mean, so why yeah. would he? So, no, I, I don't think we're going to see Chevy Chase make a comeback. Like, all the stories that came out about him basically, but I loved him in Community, but all the stories and the cast and the show I was talking about, he was basically the quintessential grumpy old man. Aww. And nobody wanted to work with him anymore. Okay. And, he really didn't and, want to be there. And he wasn't happy. Yeah, he wasn't happy being there. So, like, you know what? He's given us a yeah. lifetime body of work. And he's paid his dues. Let him just enjoy his retirement, I think. But all right, what's next? We got Christopher Brickner who says, uh, a what if for the DCU What has to be, what if WB didn't reshoot Justice League as the budget would be lower and we know Zach's version was well-reviewed? I have no idea what the question but is. But they actually... What's, what, what's he asking? Maybe if like, they released the, the Snyder uh, cut. That would have been a bigger budget because there was more there. I mean, that, well, yeah, and it would, I mean, look, here's, here's reality. That movie would have flopped in theaters. A, a four-hour movie. And while I am in agreement with most people that the, the HBO version of Justice League is the better version. It's yeah. good. Um, it also had a lot of shit that shouldn't have been in there. Like, I'm sorry, one of the stupidest scenes I've ever seen in a movie, some girl on a beach rubbing... Arthur's sweater over herself while he's singing. Come on, John, it was moving. And sniffing it like she's like it's got glue in it. Mm, like I said, what the fuck was that? Anyway, uh, that movie would have flopped in theaters. Just being that long and all that kind of stuff would not have done well. It's the better version, but it would have flopped. I say that in my head like all day long. <laughs> no, no, no. What the is that? <laughs> yeah, what the fuck is that? All right, what's next? Matt Boyle is next and says Hank Pym was more of a bit was a bigger threat than Kang was in Ant Man Three. Uh, yes, Hank Pym, Pym is. No, he really man. was. Now I kind of dig that because one of the things that I liked about the first season of What If was basically, if you guys remember, there's that one storyline in What If about somebody's going around killing all the Avengers, and it's Hank Pym. And I love stories that are like, yeah, the smartest guy in the room is the most dangerous guy in the room. And Hank Pym is the smartest guy in the room. <laughs> and he decided, I'm going to kill the Avengers. He's going to do it. And saw, I, I kind of loved that. We saw a great example of that in real life with the Squid Game. Yeah, the smartest the, the smartest person in the game is the one who won the game. Mm -hmm. Yeah, actually, that's a really good point. All right, what's next? <laughs> uh, Forever Blue, the two-parter, says, do you think Amazon will let Rings of Power Season 2 air side-by-side -side with House of the Dragon again? Um, it was sort of a disaster for them in Season 1 when people were comparing each show. 
uh, and uh, Rings of Power came up less than desired. I don't think the comparison mattered. It sucked. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, listen, I, I did not think Rings of Power sucked but it didn't live up anywhere near my expectations either. Had its moments. Like like I said, everything that had to do with Elrond and, is it Durin? Was that the name of the the dwarf? Mm -hmm. Every moment of Elrond and Durin, I loved. Like I ate it up. That was everything I wanted that show to be. There was even a couple of things with the, not hobbits. Mm-hmm. There's a couple, a couple of episodes, a couple scenes, a couple of things I thought were pretty nice and everything. But just overall, it just did not live up anywhere near its thing. And I think the idea was, and I know uh, uh, George R. R. Martin said this before the shows came out. George R. R. Martin was all excited that House of the Dragon and Lord of the Rings were coming out at the same time. I, th- I actually think George R. R. Martin quite liked um, the uh, the Lord of the Rings show, but he said, you know, I love that we got this sci-fi going on at the same time and this is great and this is wonderful. And I'm sure it benefited a little bit from that, but whatever benefit there was from that, you're right, got kind of drowned out by the fact of, well, this one show is awesome and this one is not. And and maybe it would behoove them to separate. You're the programming guy at Amazon. Okay, you're not the one making the show. I have. Right, you're not the one making the show, but you're the programming guy. Okay, the showmakers have come to you said, "Look, we've we've learned some great lessons from season one. Season two is going to be better. All that kind of stuff couldn't be worse." Do you try to air it again, roughly at the same time that House of the Dragon is going to air, or do you try to separate it from House of the Dragon? You know, I would I would separate it because uh, you know I think everything should be given a chance to exist on its own, and whenever you're setting up something to be compared and contrasted with something similar. I think you're setting yourself up to fail because immediately you're not allowing people to judge something on its own. Hmm. They've got something to compare and contrast it with. So it doesn't, you know, and, and to be honest, John, I I don't know if I only saw Rings of Power in a vacuum and I watched that show and there was no House of the Dragon, but I was watching it on its own merits. Maybe I would have liked it more. Hmm. Probably not because I don't like the idea that there was already some Rube Goldbergian device that allowed you to flip a switch and Mordor was created in an afternoon. You know, that I didn't like that. But <laughs> I didn't but, like any of the humans either. Yeah, yeah, the Harfoot stuff, I could made me want to put a knife blade in my eyeball. But I, 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 I think that it's always best, if you can, to let something exist on its own. And mm. if it's going to find an audience and have it be judged on its own merits. Because I think, look, House of the Dragon, I thought, was so superior to rings of power in every way. But on the other hand, you know, it was coming off of a show that had eight seasons, one of the most celebrated TV shows ever. Yeah. And you had the creator, George R. R. Martin himself, come back as a co-creator of that show. And uh, it, 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 it just overshadowed rings of power in every way. So I always think let something exist on its own and find its own audience. And if it doesn't, it won't. All right. What's next? RSK says my picks for the these uh, things had no business being as this good as twenty or uh, for twenty twenty three, Dungeons and Dragons movie, a One Piece live action show, the Boy spinoff show, Godzilla minus one, and a Squid Game game show. That's a good list. Tell you what, Harz, yeah. I agree with every single thing on your yep. list. Yeah, no argument against those. Because I mean, I had high hopes for Dungeons and Dragons. I didn't think it was going to be that good, and and it's. And it's a shame that that movie flopped because it's really fun. You should definitely, you guys, if you guys still haven't checked out Dungeons and Dragons, check it out. 
I I poo pooed the idea of the Squid Game game show, and I ended up really liking it. I game refused game. to watch One Piece, <laughs> but I was homesick. It's like, all right, everyone wants to watch it. I'll watch this fucking stupid, pathetic thing. And I really enjoyed it. Yep. I had a really By the good end, time. You had a straw hat on. <laughs> yeah, I did. haven't gone so far as to buy myself a straw hat yet. The straw hat YouTuber. That's my name now. And and Gen V way better. Like I had a lot of hope for Gen V because it's made being made by the people who make the boys. I love the boys, but I didn't think it was going to be that good. Um, and you're right. There. This has been a good year of some very pleasant surprises. Can any of you guys think of anything else? That kind of, I'll, I'll throw, add one for me. Ray wasn't surprised, but I was surprised by how much I like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem. Oh, yeah. Wow. Like, I I, I don't like the pizza-eating cowabunga iteration of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. No. Okay? It's pathetic. But. It's pretty cool. That Mutant Mayhem movie was pure wonderful. It was just wonderful. Yeah. It was funny. It was charming. Uh, I love the art style. Uh, so that's no, and you guys got some others that just kind of jumped up and surprised you. I think you this Barbie's year? Uh, box office was. Well, but that's it. box. But I mean, actually, they, oh, that you right. surprised you by how much you liked mm. it. I can't think of one. I don't know. I mean, because a lot that's of the things I liked, got, I kind right? of expected I'd like. Yeah, me too. Um, but but those are a great list because I, I you yeah. Know, yeah, he picked them all out. Those are good. Mm hmm. All right, what's next? Uh, Satanic Lives Matter. Hey, yeah. John, I'm currently watching The Incredible Hulk on FX, and I may have solved the mystery of your world-famous cameo. Nice military outfit. I will not, neither confirm nor deny, but a few peach people have sent in images. Then may, maybe you're right, that was me. Mm -hmm. But, uh, yeah, I've, I've had more and more people find me lately. Secret At Wars. least find me in the one scene. I'm in three scenes. Ooh. Ooh, the tray. One of them that some people have found me in is the easier one to find me in. The other are a lot more tricky. I haven't had anybody find me in the other two scenes. It's like a where's Waldo? Just look for the straw hat. All right, what's next? <laughs> All right, Richard Rodolfi gives us some support here and then also says up here, Adam Sandler, the Don Knotts of the 21st century. Don Knotts is great. Don't you dare. And actually, Adam Sandler is a great person. The Apple Dumpling Gang rules. I yeah. don't see any similarity between Adam Sandler yeah. and Don Knotts. Don Knotts is not in the so Apple familiar. Dumpling Gang. I think somebody else never um, what, which, what was the name of the movie again where he was the dolphin? Don Knotts was the dolphin. He worked for the military. Um, oh, something Mr. Uh, yeah, it's the mid. The, Mr. Limpet. Yeah, Mr. yeah, something yeah, like that, right? Have you seen, speaking of, of Adam Sandler, did you see the trailer for his new movie, Space Man? I wouldn't really call it a trailer so much as that short little teaser. I was just, I don't know what that is, but it seems serious and interesting. Look, anytime anyone's in a space suit, I'll watch it. I'm in. Well, no, listen, I, I've said ever since Rain Over Me, which is what, 2005? Yeah. Ever since Rain Over Me, I have said, and I still totally believe, Adam Sandler should not do comedies anymore. He should just do drama. Uncut gems. Because he is so good at drama. And he wastes his time and his talent doing these bad comedies lately. And, and don't get me wrong. Adam Sandler's done some of the all-time great comedies, but that was a long time ago. He needs to work with Paul Thomas Anderson again. Oh, he's just... oh. Rain Over Me is still, that's the movie to me that was like an awakening. It's like, oh my God, Adam Sandler's so good at this. And by the way, Carrie Mulligan is in this, this movie. She plays his wife. Uh, Paul Dano is in this movie, who of course we recently saw in uh, The Batman. I mean, there's a lot of interesting things about it. So we'll see if it turns out to be any good. Yeah. All right, what's next? Also, Don Knotts is absolutely an Apple dumpling oh, game. You're right. Okay, so, I was right then. And you know what? He was great in Three's Company. 
There you go. That's right. I was, okay, good. Then I wasn't wrong. Uh, John Redcorn says, say what you want about the trailer, but I say right now that Madam Web will open bigger than Aquaman. It, I, I would hope so. I, well, we don't I, know what no, it opened listen, to yet. Listen, 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 listen. Okay, take our comic book movie barometers out of it. Not a lot of movies open to $40 million yeah. or more, right? I don't know that Madam Web's going to open to $40 million. Uh, and I'm not saying that to be pessimistic. I'm, I'm saying I don't know. So it, maybe it'll be close. Maybe it'll be close. All right, what's next? Christopher Brickner says, I'm glad the new Percy Jackson show is so well-liked, considering author Rick Reardon didn't like the film ad adaptations. I'm glad his version is good. Or he, I think he means this version is good. Yeah, well, you know who else came out to give high praise to it? Logan Lerman uh, came out and sent out this big video message saying, hey, you guys got a great show on your hands. This is good. And where is Logan Lerman, by the way? Where Apparently is he? writing letters about Percy Jackson. Because <laughs> Logan Lerman... Listen, it, like he wasn't just, he's turned into a, he turned himself into a really good actor. Remember the one he was in with Brad Pitt, where Brad Pitt's name was War Daddy? The one about the tank crew and John Bernthal yeah. was in it too. Yeah. And Michael Pena and mm -hmm. Logan, Logan Lerman's, a, Logan Lerman's in there acting Fury. against Fury. Fury. Yeah. Directed he's by acting David against Ayer. Michael Pena. He's acting against Brad Pitt. He's acting alongside John Bernthal. And he was owning that movie. He's such a good actor. Where is he? He's got two things coming up. So both oh. in pre-production. I, I, like, he should be bigger. He should be bigger because he's really, really good. Yeah. All right. What's next? And then Christopher says, um, good news for Aquaman 2. Christmas time is the leggiest time of the year for films according to box office numbers over the years. Oh, yeah. Listen, again, we've talked about the fact that it's not a coincidence. Christmas Day is the single biggest box office day of the year. And it's part of the reason why I was able to leg that out. Remember, the first Aquaman only opened to $67 million, but made over a billion. So, it, but it's got to be good. <laughs> That's the thing. It's got to be good. The last Aquaman movie was good. Warner Brothers doesn't seem to believe this one's good. So uh, we'll see. Fingers crossed. All right, what's next? Joe, uh, Jay Loco says, just rewatched Lighthouse and I love it more, in my opinion, an art house masterpiece. John, think of it as a sailor's dark fo uh, folktale with the ending ripped straight out of Greek mythology. Bravo, Mr. Eggers. It's probably I, one of those movies you got to keep, you watch a couple times. I agree, though. It, it, it is. I still don't know what the fuck that thing is, what they're trying to do. Like, that is such a batshit crazy movie. It's probably the second most batshit crazy movie I've seen in the past 10 years. The other one was, oh, what was the name of the director again? The guy who did Mother with uh, Jack That's the movie Lawrence. I thought you were going to say. Oh, that's um, Darren Aronofsky. Uh, Aronofsky. Right? Brilliant art, art, artistic filmmaker. That movie was a fucking disaster. Like, that movie was just like... I get it. I understand with the biblical allegory. I get. I understood all of it. It was still just batshit nuts. It was like, ugh. Anyway. All right, what's next? Uh, we got Haunted Autumn who says, Elder Scrolls Six is by all indications going to be Xbox exclusive. That's enough for me to swing Xbox this generation. Uh, that might even things out. I mean, I love that. I'm, I'm sorry. And one Elder stuff, Scrolls but, title is not yeah. going to even out last of yeah, us yeah that's the thing they have a uh, lot yeah, god no. of war <clears throat> you would need like gta on your thing and exclusive. as an exclusive that, yeah that would and they had the chance and that, by the way who plays elder scrolls on your on a on a console you play I, on a I, PC. I, I would play it. yeah I it's just the keyboard is just crazy to me all right all right what's <laughs> next um christopher brickner's back e 
uh, even years later, the awful Xbox One's uh, E3 debut still haunts the Xbox yeah, brand. Yeah. Seriously, it was such an awful presentation. Microsoft handed Sony the win. Yeah, I I still remember that. Even people in the non non gamers and stuff like that, yeah. like that was everywhere, and everybody was talking about it. that. Was a truly crap the bed moment for those guys. It really was, and maybe they've never recovered. Yeah, maybe, maybe that was. All right, what's next? John Redcorn says, "Anyone interested in Book of Clarence?" That the biblical I, movie with the with, that movie looks pretty funny. Which one is this? Oh, is well, that, it's not even a biblical movie. He's playing. He's on a set. And he's playing a biblical character on a oh, set. Oh, yeah. This, this yeah. is uh, um, uh, uh, Stanfield. Um, um, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah, I know. Why am I drawing blank? From Atlanta. It, Why am I? Lakeith. Lakeith Stanfield. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It looks really funny. Yeah. I don't know. The I, marketing has been terrible to me because I'm looking, I've, I've seen a couple of commercials for it. I'm like, I, I don't understand what this is. I think if so, it's PG 13, it may be the next AMC. Uh, it is PG 13. I'm wondering if it's the next AMC screen unseen. I that, that's is. this Monday. I think you're completely right. Yeah. All right. Spoiler but by the way, I love him. Like he's he wasn't yeah. even really good in that new Haunted Mansion movie. Yeah. Put out. Mm -hmm. I really he's great. All right. What's next? All right. Um, Joseph Curran says I'm excited to see John Cena and others cross over in the new DCU. Do you think existing uh, contracts played into who got brought over or something else? Nope. Listen. Here's the real again. The contracts mean nothing. At least for the actors. We've talked about this before, but here's the reality of these contracts. Like when you hear so-and-so signed up to play seven films, okay. What that means is as long as the studio wants to use them playing those roles, the actor is contractually obligated to appear seven times. What it does not mean is that the studios are obligated to use them seven times. The studio can make three movies with the minute and then just never do the other four. It's it, it it's an unfair, it's a totally one-way contract. But yeah, so no, the existing contracts with actors means nothing because the studios don't actually have to do them. It's part of the reason why Terrence Howard <laughs> didn't come back to play thing because didn't come back to play Rhodey because the studio's like, even though he had a multi-film deal, the studio's like, nah, no, we don't want to use you anymore. And that's just the way it goes. So yeah, whenever you see a discussion of saying somebody like going, well, so-and-so has to come back because he's still got four films on his contract. Only has to do it if the studio wants to do it. The studio is not obligated to use them anymore. It's, I guess, a very one-sided thing, but that is the way it works. All right, what's next? Uh, DAL says, do you feel the marketing for Aquaman has been bad? Yeah. Well, sort of. The second trailer I hated. I saw one trailer that I thought was pretty decent. Then they put out another trailer yeah. that was just awful. I was like, like, why'd they do that? Yeah. <laughs> that first trailer was great. Yeah. I, as somebody in the live chat is saying, if the, if Warner Brothers doesn't have any belief in the film, why did they make it? Well, because they did believe in it. Yeah. James Wan comes to you who makes a, a $1 billion film, says, I'm going to make this new one. Warner Brothers, If you're Warner Brothers, of course you go, yes, go with God, my child. Go make this movie. And then they saw the results. It's like, oh, you crapped the bed. Now, again, I haven't seen the movie. Maybe I'll think it's awesome. I hope I will. But them not releasing, even right now, I'm on the I'm on the Rotten Tomatoes page right now. Even as we speak, look at this. Oh, well, it'd be nice if, yeah. Oh, no, again, go. look at this. Still, nope, no reviews. Nope. Shh. Crickets. Don't let anybody say what they think about the movie. We're Speechless. one, we're 24 hours away from this movie coming out. And uh, yeah, they had all the belief in it in the world before it got made. But listen, everybody, when they on day one of production of a movie, 
You know, Aaron Cummings used to say this. I, I love this. On day one of shooting a television show or a movie, everybody on that set is already imagining their Oscar or Emmy acceptance speeches. Yeah. Everybody thinks that this is the thing. This is going to be the next big block. This is going to be great. And you can look at the script and think it's going to be that and all that kind of stuff. But then there comes to Jesus moments where it's like, okay, well, now we've shot it. Let's look at it. Didn't turn out the way I thought. You ever watch that Parks and Rec episode where the guy made his mesh, his animation, his claymation, <laughs> the Requiem for a Tuesday? Yeah. You think it's the greatest thing. I told her it was better than Avatar. And it's just, it, it, it just happens. So you can have all the belief in the world in it at one moment and then, then you see it. And it's like, oh, well, this is how it turned out. All right, what's next? Tevin Camo says, uh, since since some time has passed and we're at the end of the year, does Across the Spider-Verse still hold its spot as your greatest comic book movie ever and your favorite movie this year? I have never once in my life said Across the Spider-Verse is the greatest comic book film ever. Never, never thought that once. I do still believe it's the best movie of the year. Now, I still got to see American Fiction. I still got to see... There's a few things I still, there's a couple things I still have to see. But like of the other top contenders, Oppenheimer, uh, Killers of the Flower Moon, Talk to Me, uh, stuff like that. To me, honestly, I still believe that Across the Spider-Verse is the best movie that's been made this year. I, I may not feel that way still in a couple of weeks, but as of right now, I still think it's the best movie of the year. All right, what's next? We got <laughs> CJ who says, what are your thoughts on the article by Rolling Stones? Or by Rolling Stone detailing the Snyderverse cut buzz was driven by Twitter bots and an ad agency. That that's become common knowledge now. And when when those reports first came out ages ago, there was a lot of denial. There's no denying it anymore. Now listen though, none of that takes away from the fact that there was a real movement of Snyder cut stuff like that, right? Yes. Did somebody, and I'm sure it wasn't Zack Snyder who did it, but were some people fueling that with fake stuff? Yes. Uh, that's just now common knowledge. Nobody even disputes it anymore. It's obvious it was. But that wasn't the whole story. There still was a lot of people in a very organic way that were still very much behind the film. And they're still online. They're, they're still, still on social media yep, everywhere. They're still there, absolutely. All right, what's So next? just real quick, people are kind of talking about this Axio, uh, Axios uh, scoop that, that they just dropped about Warner Brothers discovering toxic. This is all based on like sources say. So, I mean, I'm sure this is something we'd want to like look into later. I'd but, have to see something from one of but, the real major But it, it really, yeah, exactly. I, guys, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't bet all your chickens on that one. Listen, Everyone's listen. talking to Sherry Redstone right now. Yeah, listen, let, everybody knows yeah. Paramount is on the block. Paramount's up for sale. It's not officially up for sale, but everybody knows the unspoken thing out there, the, the worst kept secret out there is Paramount is looking to make a major move, whether it's an acquisition, whether it's a merger, whether it's a new strategic partnership, they're looking to make a major move right now. So I think anybody can throw spaghetti against the wall. But I mean, the other thing that goes with this, Rob, we heard David Zaslav say just a few weeks ago, say, hey, we got our finances in order now, and now we are in acquisition mode. We are now in a mode where we are again looking to acquire things. I mean, Paramount would kind of, Paramount's got some good IP. They've got some really good IP. They also I mean, have things like Nickelodeon. They've got yeah. things, BET. Well, they've I mean, they're going to spin BET off, I think. Sure, but I mean, 
War, uh, Max could yeah. take all that stuff. Yeah. All right. What's next? TJ Perry says, Ray, how much do I have to pay you to watch Tropic Thunder? I watched it for the ninth time last night. Can firmly say it's top five comedy since 2000. Tropic I'll, Thunder. I'll, I'll watch it. Just tell me where it's playing. Would yeah. you like to borrow my Blu-ray? No. No. Actually, I have it on 4K. I'm sure it's come streaming over and watch somewhere. It in the theater room. Just saying. Okay. I'm sure it's streaming. Dude, you I would love Tropic Thunder. I, I yeah. know I would. <laughs> Ann and I haven't watched ones. it forever. And by the way, Tropic Thunder, to me... A lot of people think of Tropic Thunder. They think of Robert Downey Jr. and what he did in that movie and how great he is. But honestly, to me, Tropic Thunder is the re- is the movie that saved Tom Cruise's career. Yeah, oh, yeah. Everybody forgets that his career was pretty much almost done at that point. And then he did Tropic Thunder, and all of a sudden, he was on everybody's A-list again. And Dude. So good that it was. After Mission Impossible 8, my dream is Tom Cruise does the Les Grossman movie with Chris McQuarrie. They've talked about it for so many years. The Les Grossman story. They have to do a Les Grossman movie. They and, must and do a Les And the tagline should be, I will F your face. <laughs> Did Ben Stiller write um, Tropic Thunder? <laughs> yes. So that's the thing. If they do Les Grossman, Ben Stiller has to be attached. I'm sure yeah, he would. I mean, he could. Yeah, he, he probably would be attached. Yeah. Maybe he directs. I don't know. I would love that. I could watch Tom Cruise as Les Grossman in a feature film in a second. They even did. I remember Whole thing. after Karate Kid, the Jaden Smith version of Karate Kid came out. I think it was the MTV Movie Awards where they had Jaden Smith and Will Smith as themselves and Tom Cruise as Les Grossman. And they did this sketch where, like, Gross was like, let's see how good you are, kid. And he fights James Smith. like, break it! Break the arm! Anyway, it was a really, really good sketch. We got to see him do a movie version of this. All right, what's next? We got uh, Haunted Autumn again. Did you ever bounce a ping pong ball into a goldfish bowl at a carnival? That is what Aquaman 2. Flush it down the toilet and put it out of its misery. Oh, you keep that, uh, that goldfish. Here's the thing, though. I- and you love it. Don't say something like that about movies you haven't seen. You haven't yet, seen it, right? I, I mean, again, it doesn't look good. The studio doesn't believe it's any good, but we haven't seen it yet. So let's. Plus, let's, you had people work on that movie for three years. <laughs> Collectively, hundreds of people worked on that film. Yeah, let's wait till we look. I you, mean, give them a some benefit of the doubt. Like your description might be one hundred percent correct, but we don't know that yet. So let's let's. Let's withhold that kind of judgment until we've seen it. And Dude, then... Aquaman leaps out of the ocean on a seahorse with oh, an yeah, octopus that, on it. That's what I'm saying. That alone is worth me seeing <laughs> That's it. the price of admission right there. <laughs> All right, what's next? Uh, okay, we did that one. J- uh, Jake Clark says, just hope Aquaman 2 is a nice farewell to the DCEU, and I think Thomas dies. Hope a- hope to get Clooney's Batman. Well, George Clooney just did an interview recently. Yeah, right. Where be- because he does appear at the end of The Flash, a lot of people are like, is there any chance you could come back? And I believe George Clooney's answer was, there aren't enough drugs in the world for make, to make me play Batman again. I think that was his specific answer. I don't think there's enough drugs in the world to make me play Batman. So you're never going to see Clooney's Batman again. I don't believe we're about to see a uh, farewell to the DCEU. Because you got to remember, when they made this movie, they did not know this was going to be the last DCEU movie. Right. But maybe I'm going to hold out hope for another 24 hours that the reason they haven't let anybody see this movie is because they have all these cameos from all of Zack Snyder's cast That's always in this the big movie excuse, saying goodbye, it? and they wanted to keep this surprise for Christmas, John. That's the excuse <laughs> everybody makes. 
When when a studio will not lift a review embargo, everybody scrambles to make up this excuse. Well, it's it's because they're, they're trying to hide the surprises. We're all going to Bedford Falls. Cameo porn, baby. <laughs> they just get to a crossroads and they all have their little Aquaman mobile and Wonder Woman mobile and they all just drive in different directions. <laughs> Till I see you again. Exactly. Maybe it's the Lost Kingdom is where Heat Miser and Snow Miser are. And we're going to have... I would watch that movie. Dude, I know. He's that it turns out that Aquaman is just trying to stop the year without a Santa Claus. Oh, I'd be down for that. All right, let's keep going. And it's Kurt Russell. With Kurt Russell. Elksvin says, hey, John and crew, hope you guys are having a good day. Have any of you been watching Nathan Fielder's The Curse on Paramount Plus? One of the most intriguing and funniest shows I've ever watched. That's the Emma Stone show, right? I was going to start that Oh, they're the home improvement couple. Yeah. I didn't even know it was out yet. Yeah, it's been out. I didn't know that. I gotta I watch that the other night, but I just didn't. Because I'm I, guilty pleasure of mine. I'm like, these home improvement shows are actually kind of guilty pleasures. Of yeah. Mine, so I'll, I'll tune in and check them out. Property Brothers or whatever. Um, so when I saw that trail, I thought that looks kind of interesting, but I didn't even know it was out. So no, I haven't I haven't started watching it yet. I want to see that show. Yeah. All right. What's next? Ron H. Hey crew, is there any film in the next couple of years you believe could deserve some kind of uh, watch, ticket watch, seat watch? Whatever watch. Deadpool 3. Deadpool well, yeah. Deadpool Definitely. 3 will, will <laughs> Deadpool absolutely 3, be a ticket Moonfall watch. Moonfall 2, probably. Moonfall 2. <laughs> well, what do you, I mean, possibly Superman Legacy. We'll see. Yeah, yeah. Legacy, maybe. The deep cut, the but Circum Deadpool Snyder. Three yeah, the like, Snyder's. Uh, we're going to. Yeah, because I think Deadpool 3, I, I believe Deadpool 3 is going to be a billion dollar yeah, film. Yeah, we're going to ride too. that D. We're going to Hey, look, all the way to the box office, We're baby. Ride that ride D that all D, the way to DP. the box office. DP all day. <laughs> On a seahorse. <laughs> the MCU's all, all the the all their hopes are in that movie. Yeah. It's it's, it's uh, some people ask me, what about Dune 2? Uh, Dune 2 is probably gonna be the best movie of the year yeah. next year, but I don't think it's gonna be like a two hundred million dollar opening film or anything no. like that. Deadpool three very well could Deadpool, be. Deadpool I mean, Dune is a serious, thoughtful movie based on a famous literary work. So Did I you hear I'm they not... just greenlit Dune Messiah? Yeah. Dune oh, Green they didn't they actually greenlit it. <laughs> they greenlit it apparently. And you can't so. spoiler uh do a spoiler talk with that because it's the same story as the previous mm-hmm. Dune, right? Or is this For the a most new... part? What do you like, mean same story? It's part two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he, means saying. he means because it's literary. It's not like they're spoilers. Well, like like people already know what's going to happen. Well, like, li- read but, the book. but the reality is not many have read the book. Less than today. 5% of the people going to the movies have actually read oh, the book. Okay. Right. So yeah. we're a nation of illiterates. <laughs> okay. All right. What's next? All right. Big Mouth Stan says, have you seen the controversy over Denzel being cast in the historical figure Hannibal? Critics say it's historically inaccurate because of his race. I don't give a shit. Who cares? And <laughs> who cares? Why are his it's a movie? Like, I listen. I, I've said this before. I'll say it again. As long as a movie which does critics? not present itself as being, this is the exact historical recreation of the actual events and what happened. I don't give a shit if a movie takes creative liberties with stuff. Like Quentin Tarantino, you want to say Hitler died in a theater fire? Okay, don't care. You're making a movie that's, as long as you're very clear, this is based on a true story, and then you have a scene where some, like even Iron Claw, I heard I heard some people complain, well, in Iron Claw, this person doesn't find this person, this other person does. Who cares? This this isn't a documentary. It's, it's a An adaptation. Film. I don't really care if they take creative liberties with what was accurate to this or accurate to that. Listen, Denzel just played Macbeth. 
I, I don't. So I don't care. It doesn't matter. Just make when Colin movie. Farrell was Alexander the Great, his hair color was not historically accurate. Damn them! It's true. Damn them Fantastic to hell. Sam's man. <laughs> All right. What's next? Uh, just some support from Nathan Belt. Thank and- you, Nathan Belt. All right, yeah. let's. The show's gone long today, but let's get at least through a couple of our uh, channel member questions, right. shall we? Yeah. So, Real Life Entertainment says, hey, crew, just saw Wonka last night. It was awesome. <clears throat> I loved Potentially it. Potentially number uh, one movie of the year for me. Oh. Loved how they told the story and visually it looked amazing. Cried quite a bit at the end, too. Thankful uh, thankful for sharing chocolate with this community. Say what? The end of the movie happens, and I thought to myself, I'm going to turn and look at my wife right now, Anne. She cries at everything. And though. I bet she's going to be crying. And sure enough, I turned and looked at her and she had these tears coming down her face. Listen, uh, Wonka's a winner. Wonka's a winner. I, I was really, really happy with that film very, very much. And not going to be my top film of the year, but it, it's it's probably going to be in my top 10. Slugworth was great. Too. Slugworth. Slugworth. And jo- listen, Keegan-Michael Key yeah. is so good in this movie. Yeah. All right, what's next? Uh, we got Jesse as a turtle wants to know what it's like being an extra in movies. Boring. Yeah. It's a lot of sit around and wait. Like for a nine hour day that you're there, on average for me, if I'm there for a nine hour day, I'll be in the holding area for probably six or seven of those hours. It's it's a lot of hurry up and wait. That's what it's like to be an extra on these movies. Now, when you're on set and you like, oh my God, I'm standing right beside Hayden Christensen or, oh my God, I'm standing right here with Rain Wilson or whatever. It's cool, but it's a lot of hurry up and wait. All right, what's next? Charles, uh, yeah, Charles Nelson says, my favorite Superman movie is Superman 2. I love the Donner cut. Uh, General, would you care to step outside? Everyone <laughs> knows what yours is, but what is your second favorite Superman movie? So everyone Superman knows Man of Steel is yeah, your favorite. Yeah, Superman 2 is my second favorite Superman movie. Uh, yeah. Man of Steel is obviously my favorite Superman movie, but man, I, yeah, Superman 2. Uh, I just, there's just so much great stuff in there. Like, Even though, really, you can make an argument that at the end of Superman 2, Superman acts extremely irresponsibly going back to that diner to beat up a helpless human being, like a human. But who among us didn't feel a dirty sense of satisfaction he when he went there to beat the shit? Yeah, yeah, he held he back. back. The guy's still alive. Yeah, he held back. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, but I mean... I've been... That's like us going to a preschool and smacking a a four-year-old around. They sort of did that in Man of Steel with the truck scene. But he he didn't hurt the guy. I know. Right. right? He just took out his frustration on an inanimate object. But if I was that guy, I'd rather you do what you did to me in Superman 2 than destroy my livelihood. (laughs) Right. All right. He had insurance. All right. Um, Culture Culture Wars Diplomacy says... Any heroes in movies or TV so out of line that you thought the writer had to ask, am I the baddie, uh, if they thought this made the hero look good? What we just kind of talked about. (laughs) And the the one thing, I... Not that I can think of. I mean, not unless you're talking about something about the boys where we're all clearly supposed to know the boys or the the seven are not actually heroes. But, um, I mean, I... This is not exactly what you're asking. This is a bit off topic, but I remember watching Barbie. Now, Barbie's not a superhero, but I, and I made a little editorial video about this. And I remember, I think it was my second time watching Barbie that I came to the realization, Barbie is actually the villain of the film, right? When you look at how she and the Barbies, like they created the problem by living in a Barbie society that completely 
I hate using the word oppressed, but they oppressed the Kens like horribly. The Kens all were homeless. Remember, think, remember this the next time you see the Barbie movie. The Kens were forced to be homeless. They didn't have places to live. Only Barbies could live in houses. Kens didn't have houses. They had to live on the beach or sleep in the sand they must or smelled. do whatever. They, Barbie is literally the villain of the film. Now that leads to some problems that then she has to have her you know, hero's journey moment and, cor and correct a situation that she herself and the other Barbies created. But I realize Barbie's the villain of the film. That's, so that's a little bit different. But can you think of a time when you're seeing a hero in a movie that did something you're like, oh, is this guy actually the villain? Well, not a superhero movie, but one of my favorite movies of the 80s is To Live and Die in L.A. Oh, and oh William Peterson, that. William that Peterson's means, Richard Chance turns into a pretty bad guy in the quest to bring down counterfeiter Rick Masters. By the way, Kino Lorber finally put that out in 4K this year. Yeah. Thank you, Kino Lorber. And all right, guys, that'll do it for today's installment of the John Campia Show podcast. Thank you so much for being here and making the show part of your day. Big special thank you to all you guys who sent in questions. Number one, gave us fun things to talk about. But number two, you supported this channel as you did it. And all of us involved with the show, thank you guys so much for your support. Uh, don't forget to come on back and join us again tomorrow. So for everybody in the room, Ray Ora. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Jonathan Voico. All right, see you later. Writer, director, producer, Robert Meyer Burnett. I'm going to go get Snyder side. <laughs> Circumsnider. Not already? Circumsnider. With Circumsnider. D cut. With a deep D cut of D. <laughs> Guys, thanks a lot for being here. My name's John Campion. Until next time, my friends. Bye bye. Ouch. <laughs>